Hello and welcome, fellow historians. This is now episode 12, which seemed to go really fast. We're starting to hit a little rhythm with these things. Well, I have a fantastic story for you today, and that story is what happened in 1957-58 at another high school in the United States, down in Little Rock, Arkansas. And that was a central high school, actually. And it was the biggest school in the city, of course. Now, Little Rock, Little Rock wasn't the deep, deep South. And Little Rock wasn't the worst of the worst as far as open, vile racism had been during the segregation years. But in 1954, the Supreme Court had ruled in Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, that it was inherently unconstitutional to separate people on the basis of race. Separation was inherently unequal. You couldn't treat citizens, fellow citizens, differently on the basis of the color of their skin in terms of the schooling they were offered. This reversed an earlier ruling, Plessy versus Ferguson, back in 1896, that had asserted the opposite, that it was constitutional to segregate people as long as the facilities you provided were equal. But the new Supreme Court said separation is inherently unequal. You can't do that, which means now that all the schools would have to integrate. Now, it's relatively straightforward for the Supreme Court of that time to make that ruling. It's very clear legally, but to enforce it, to get the South to go along with that was going to take some time. So what had happened in Little Rock was by 1957, which was three years after the Supreme Court ruling, the school board in Little Rock had voted to admit African-American students. They had essentially recognized, okay, it's been a few years, we held out as long as we could, but now we are going to have to admit black students, and they voted to do so. Most people don't remember that part. And that's what allowed the first black students in Little Rock to sign up for high school for the following fall term. And there were nine of those students. Later on, of course, they're going to be called historically the Little Rock Nine. Well, these weren't just kids who were like, well, I suppose uh, Central High School's got a great, you know, CAD program or, uh, you know, we sure are good with languages there. No, they were the children of civil rights activists and leaders and preachers. They, they basically wanted to do this because also their parents wanted them to do this. So let's recognize that sacrifice first. Instead of having a normal high school situation to walk into, instead of just enjoying your years as a kid, going through freshman through senior year and enjoying what it is to be a student, instead they had to be the first. Instead, they had to walk into a situation where they knew there was going to be resistance and they just didn't get that part of their childhood. So the nine signed up and, of course, immediately, as soon as the word gets out, whoever let it slip right off the bat, there was going to be an uproar. And this is where the governor of Arkansas steps in. Now, the governor was fairly moderate himself and some African Americans had even voted for him in the past, that is, they'd rather would have had this guy governor than maybe one of the more rabid segregationists. But this time, he, he's facing a challenger for his job as governor that's going to make it pretty tough to win. And his challenger was a segregationist. So he seized on this political moment. Now, before we go any further, the governor of Arkansas at this time was a man named Orville Faubus. Orville Faubus. 
This is his actual name, Orville. Faubus. Yeah. So, <laughs> Governor Faubus decides that to make a scene of this, to, to score some points with the segregationist vote, that he is going to call out the National Guard of Arkansas and order them to surround Central High School and then give them direct orders to admit only white students. So the Little Rock Nine could try to go to school, but there will be armed soldiers telling them they cannot go. Now, these nine students, they didn't just get on a bus to go to school, or they didn't just walk or take a bike by themselves, no. These nine knew there was resistance, and so they met every single morning at the house of one of the families, and then with their parents and with civil rights leaders and their pastors, they all would walk to the school together. So when the nine get to the school that day, they see men with automatic weapons surrounding the school who will not let them pass. Now, this is the point where I always tell my students, you know, before COVID time, before you had school denied to you, if you showed up at Prosser High School someday and you notice men in uniform, all with automatic weapons, saying, you can't come to school here today, chances are, like I probably would have back in the day, you would have said, okay, I guess I'll see you later. And you would have gone home. You, you wouldn't have put up much of resistance for that. But you've also never had it denied to you until recently with this COVID shutdown. You don't know what it's like not to have it. And so these nine were determined. And they're nonviolent. They're not threatening. They're not, you know, trying to push their way past. But they kept getting blocked. Well, now we've got a problem, though, because now you have the governor of Arkansas who's calling out the National Guard in order to resist federal law as the Supreme Court has ruled. So now the president of the United States has a problem, and that president was Dwight Eisenhower. Now, Dwight Eisenhower got elected because he was a war hero. Dwight Eisenhower was the supreme allied commander in Europe during World War II, the man who beat Hitler. And so he gets elected as a war hero and a Republican, a fairly moderate, middle-of-the-road Republican who also was a segregationist. You have to remember that he led a segregated army into Europe, and if he had his personal way, didn't really feel like the schools should be integrated, or the military for that matter. Well, that notwithstanding, here's Eisenhower saying, as the President of the United States, it's my job to enforce the law. And so Orville Faubus can't do this, no matter what my personal beliefs are or his personal beliefs. The Supreme Court has spoken, and this rule needs to be followed. So he flies down to Little Rock. He makes a personal trip, and he sits down with Orville Faubus, and we don't know exactly what was said, but I can take a guess. He probably said something along the lines of, you know, Orville, I know you have a political problem here. Okay, I know what you're doing and that you have this segregationist challenger right there. So here's what I'll do. You let the kids go to school right there, and I will fundraise for you. I will make sure you have enough money to run a good campaign. I'll make sure you get some TV airtime, and maybe that'll pick up some of the slack for you, any hit that you might take from allowing the kids to go to school. Anyway, he leaves the meeting thinking that we have an understanding. Orville Favis understands the reality, and this is going to be resolved peacefully. But what actually happened was Eisenhower left and Orville Faubus just withdrew the National Guard. He just pulled back the troops was all. And so now there was nothing but a small city police force to protect the Little Rock Nine. When they came into the school the next day, uh, they had to get snuck into the school 
Uh, that is, the police force actually snuck them in the side door because out front was a mob of several hundred people. Adults mostly, angry as can be, and with nothing to stop them but about nine police officers. Well, the rumor gets out that the kids are inside and the mob snaps. The mob starts pushing past the blockades. They start pushing past police officers. All sound familiar? And they're looking to get inside the school. And if they get inside the school where all the kids are and where these nine are, then something bad is going to happen. So one of the police deputies inside, standing next to the Little Rock Nine kids, said, um, you know, if we gave one of the kids to the mob, we could probably get the rest out. The assistant chief of police at that time, who's also in the room, says, that's ridiculous. How are you going to make them choose? You're going to let them draw straws? And he says, I'll get them out of here. And he puts them all in two cars. And then as soon as they open the doors, the garage doors, the police cars just punch it. Right? People are jumping out of the way. Right? They're almost running them over. And that's the only way that they get the nine out that day. But now they're still not in the school. So this is where Eisenhower is just incensed because he's just being made to look stupid on national television. So President Eisenhower orders in the 101st Airborne. 18,000 airborne soldiers. Federal troops are now occupying a southern city in order to enforce Supreme Court law. So now it's a different day. Now the next day, the the military picks the nine up at their houses and escorts them into school with helicopters overhead, with armed jeeps, with airborne soldiers. Each of the Little Rock Nine get their own personal soldier to march them into school that day and then escort them from class to class. Now... During this entire year, there's going to be incidents. One of the nine students is going to be expelled over some minor disciplinary incident. But at the end of that year, an entire school year, uh, the class of 1958 gets ready to graduate. 601 white students and Ernest Green, one black senior who's graduating. And he talks about that day. Of course, Ernest Green is still alive today. He talks about that day, about how uh, everybody was talking about, you know, which scholarships which kids got, and here's the awards they got, and the applause from the audience and all that. And then they read his name, Ernest Green. Crickets. Nobody said anything. And he just walked across that stage, picked up his diploma, and crossed to the other side to absolute silence. But he said he didn't care that he had done what he had come there to do and was the first ever to graduate. Now, important footnote here. Uh, today, if you go to Little Rock, and I've been to Central High School, if you go to Little Rock today, Little Rock, the town itself, is about 60% African-American, and the high school itself is about 75% African-American. So those days are long gone. But the, the grounds of the school itself, that is the actual lawn outside, which is pretty expansive, is now designated as a national park because of the historical events that happened there. And one of the park rangers who runs that little park exhibit right there and gives the tour to visitors is the daughter of Melba Beals, who was one of the Little Rock Nine. It's a great story that I like to tell, and that's it for episode 12. We'll talk to you next time.